Hello. Hello. How is everyone? Super good. good. How are you? Good, good, good. Surviving week 27 and a half of Corona. Is that a real number? Or is I, that... I, I made it up. Okay. I'm not sure how many days, but it feels like a year. Mm-hmm. Time means nothing anymore. So no. it could be a million days. It could be three days. There'd be no way of knowing. No. <laughs> I think we could look, but I'm not going to. <laughs> no. What's the point? <laughs> We're back. Podcast number three. Three with our first special guest. Hello. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> drum roll, please. Who is it? <laughs> That's my drum roll. Kyla! Hello! Hello! (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Kyla, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, my name's Kyla, if anyone hasn't caught on yet. And I work at Safe Passage with Amanda and Olivia, which is the most fun. Dream team! Dream team! (laughs) So I'm part of the outreach team, which is super fun. So I help with teaching in the middle schools, in the high schools, in the five northern counties of Idaho. And I also host an office at North Idaho College, um, the second floor of the student union building. So that way people can access our services. Students, faculty, or staff are experiencing domestic violence, dating abuse, sexual assault, and stalking. Awesome. That's a good role there, Kyla. <laughs> it's a busy one. It is a busy a, one. It's a fun one, though. Yeah, you do a lot of different things, which is could be fun and also challenging. You just never know what the day is going to bring. <laughs> no. I know. You're like at NIC, and then you're in the office, and then you're at one of the schools. You're a busy bee. <laughs> busy bee. But it's fun. And at NIC, we also have the Bystander Intervention Program, or Green Dot. So we do a lot of that as well. That's also fun. And that gives you all kinds of amazing expertise. (laughs) It's very well-rounded experiences. (laughs) How domestic violence impacts a wide variety of people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Especially teens and youth. Yes. Young adults. And that leads us into our topic today of healthy teen relationships, mm-hmm. which is my favorite. So besides Kyla's role, we also have an on-site office at Coeur d'Alene High School that I spend a large part of my time in when school is in session. So that's a lot of fun. We both get to kind of spend time with young people in our different schools at the college and at the high school. Mm-hmm. And we get to do a lot of tag teaming at the juvenile detention center. For Kootenai County. And in other community organizations that work with youth and that work with teens. And we get to do a lot of fun trainings and education programs and things like that. And it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Teens are fun to work with. They're such a cool generation with like really innovative ways of thinking and mm-hmm. wanting to learn more things. And they always have really good conversations. Yeah. And they're really passionate and energetic. Keeps me on my toes. <laughs> so in the in the teen services, what are some of the main things that we do? I think a lot of the times we talk with teens and youth about like what their experiences look like. And a large majority of the services, I would say, is mostly like safety planning. Talking about ways to increase safety at school. If that means connecting people to their student resource officer or a counselor that could help them safety planning outside of school, like within friend groups and maybe social media, 
and sometimes safety planning at home, around home, too. And we have occasional like court support services if that means that a teen wants to create a report with law enforcement. We can help facilitate that conversation, and sometimes that's with their student resource officer. And if someone is interested in getting a civil protection order, we can help with that as well. Awesome. Lots of resources out there for teens in this community in the five northern counties. Mm -hmm. As we look at kind of domestic violence, sexual violence, things like that, why are we focusing specifically on teens and teen relationships? Like, why not just look at relationships in general? Why focus on teens specifically? So good question. I think a lot of it has to do with the way that teens are impacted by violence because we know that one in three adolescents in the United States have experienced either physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional or verbal abuse from a dating partner. So we know that teens and young adults are highly impacted directly by these types of violence. Mm -hmm. So focusing on teens and providing early intervention, and hopefully the ultimate goal is really prevention, I think is really important. Yeah. I think we also see a lot that those types of harmful and violent relationships put youth at risk of other higher things as well. Mm -hmm. So they have that risk of being in a harmful or abusive relationship, and then they're also at risk of other things that Mm -hmm. put them at further risk, like substance abuse or risky behaviors or even further domestic violence later on down the road as they grow into adulthood. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like a single issue. It intersects with a lot of other things as well. Definitely. And I think a lot of people don't realize that it's even an issue. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the kiddos don't even realize that like what they're experiencing is unhealthy. Getting more people aware of the dynamics of an unhealthy relationship or violence, I think is really important. Yeah. Some adults that we run into in the community think that maybe these topics are too big for teens. Mm-hmm. But I mean, looking at the statistics, this is something that's already happening. Right. Or they're in the age group that it will happen. So getting to them and teaching them all about healthy relationships and what that looks like and resources in the community is kind of what we're all about here. Mm-hmm. And having those conversations, like I think sometimes teens, it can be like really intimidating, especially if Mm -hmm. someone is experiencing that or their friend and they're kind of like, what, what do we do? Who can help us? So kind of putting ourselves out there gives them an opportunity to get connected with resources. When we think of teens, when they experience dating or sexual violence, what are some barriers that we know exist for them? Some barriers could include transportation. So either they're not old enough to drive or they don't have a vehicle um, or their transportation options are limited. That can definitely be a barrier to accessing an advocate. Yeah. And even if they did have transportation or were able to get transportation figured out, they may be very likely to encounter scheduling conflicts. So especially Mm -hmm. if they have school or an after-school job or a job in general, any extracurricular like sports or theater or anything outside of school, a lot of students we see have all three of those that take up all (laughs) of the business hours in a day. So if they wanted to get into like an office, like go into the Safe Passage office or some office that could provide help or services, 
they can't get there because they've got activities that are taking up their entire day. And so it might be really hard for them even just to physically get there to get those services. I think that's why being on campus is one of the best things that we can do because they have easier access for us and trying to reduce that barrier is a good resource for teens to have that they can access during the school day. Mm -hmm. I think it's super helpful. Also for teens, maybe they don't have any access or have a limited amount of their own money. Mm -hmm. Their parents could have control over the money. So they would have to ask their parent to use it, or maybe they're afraid or embarrassed to have any access to financial support. Mm -hmm. And another barrier that sometimes we run into is, at least in the state of Idaho, we have laws around teens being able to access like our emergency shelter. So oftentimes like teens maybe leaving an unhealthy or unsafe situation isn't necessarily always an option, which can be a big barrier. Yeah. They also might be aware or partially aware of things like mandatory reporting requirements Mm -hmm. of a lot of service providers that they might feel nervous or hesitant to seek out help from maybe like a school counselor or a student resource officer. They might be afraid that those people might have to contact their parents. Mm -hmm. And that might just make them very hesitant to want to seek out help if maybe they are feeling some embarrassment or feeling some fear Maybe especially if they had an experience in the past where they opened up and then maybe their story was shared and they didn't really expect that or want that, that can put a lot of fear or nervousness around seeking out help from different people. Mm -hmm. And they might not be aware of the Idaho laws surrounding them as well, like consent or what the runaway laws look like, what the sexting laws look like. So that might be something that they don't know about or they don't have access into learning or can't understand legal jargon like most of us can't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes we see, especially when we're working like rural areas or just even here in Coeur d'Alene, that not everyone has access to like internet or a phone or other forms of communication. So sometimes having an advocate at their school is the best way for them to access our services. Um, And it also limits their ability to get in contact with friends or other support systems. And we also know that sometimes unhealthy relationships can be involved with or monitored by communication. So sometimes that digital communication isn't always safe either. Yeah. So a lot of different barriers that teens deal with. We also want to spend just a little bit of time looking at LGBTQ plus youth in particular. So on top of all of these barriers and all these extra (laughs) difficulties that we see, they might also face a lot of additional barriers. So we want to just take a little bit of time and look at some of those too. Especially within the LGBTQ plus community, we see that maybe sometimes they're suffering from shame or embarrassment. Maybe the abusive partner uses that insecurity or shame about someone's sexuality or gender to hold more control over that partner. Being a part of the LGBTQ community, you're still figuring out your own self and somebody threatening or having that over you can be a big barrier to reaching out to other people. And they might be afraid that no one will believe them or take them seriously. Like when they're seeking help or trying to make a report. That could be really intimidating and scary, and they might encounter stereotypes or even hateful comments. 
from others, which can prevent them from reaching out and further that shame and that embarrassment. Yeah. And kind of similarly, they might fear that from other people too. So maybe like retaliation from their partner or rejection or bullying from other people in their lives, especially if they're maybe not out yet to everyone. If they're in that unhealthy or abusive relationship, the other partner might make threats to out them, or they might worry that getting help in this relationship is going to automatically out them before they're ready for that. And that can feel really, really big and is really big and scary. Yeah. Yeah. I think another big piece would be like feeling guilty. They might be afraid of disclosing abuse, especially within the LGBTQ community, because they might feel like they're going to make the community look bad. Like there's a couple that's same sex and now there's domestic violence in there. They already have a community of people that are wanting equal opportunities and equal rights. So you don't, they want, might not feel bad about putting a dark cloud over their relationship and maybe feeling like there's going to be a dark cloud around the LGBTQ community. Or if you disclose it to somebody and your partner is not out yet, feeling bad about maybe outing a partner when they're not ready as well. Yeah. And sometimes by making reports or seeking help, it can feel like, like you said, really big. And it might feel like they might lose their community. You know, you're part of like friends or the LGBTQ community and sometimes people are afraid that if they reach out or they disclose the abuse or the unhealthy relationship that they'll lose that like camaraderie and sometimes that's all that they have. Mm -hmm. So we looked a lot at kind of some of those barriers and some of the laws and things like that that in some of these cases that we look at they can create some of those barriers but we also want to look at what options they do still have right? Because it's not Mm -hmm. like they're just completely optionless if they're Mm -hmm. a minor. There are a lot of options and things that they can go through to get help and get support. So we want to make sure that we're looking at those things as well and not just the barriers and the reasons why it's more difficult. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of advocacy agencies and support services, including us at Safe Passage, we offer help remotely through messaging or texting in addition to in-person or phone calls. A lot of times our younger youth like to use their telephones or computers <laughs> to communicate. So just being able to use that to get a hold of somebody is an important tool to have. Another resource that we spend a lot of time like creating partnerships with and connecting students to include like student resource officers or law enforcement, school counselors and teachers, and Title IX staff at their schools. They can also be really great resources and help provide additional options. Yeah, I think being in school, in a school system, puts up a lot of protections for them because they have things like Title IX at their schools that require their schools to not allow things like dating violence and sexual violence to hinder that equal access to education. So they have a lot of those protections put in place for them while they are in school that they may not have otherwise. Yeah, and they can also make police reports, and they're more than welcome to have an advocate with them, too, if that makes them feel safer in that situation. Yeah, and like we mentioned, they anyone under the age of 18 can still get a civil protection order, or sometimes people will refer to it as a restraining order. So if there's a parent who is willing to file on their behalf, then they can also have a civil protection order, which can be helpful. Yeah, 
They can also make their own medical decisions at age 14 and up. So that could include things like a sexual assault evidence collection examination. We can also be with them through that. And if they have a parent's signature, they can fill out financial compensation forms to pay for those exams and things like that. So they do have those options as well. Mm -hmm. And especially being younger and kids or teens and adolescents, we see that their resiliency and their capacity for healing is a lot higher because of how young they are. Yeah, so we also want to spend just a little bit of time kind of looking and talking about what healthy teen relationships actually look like. Because we know that, you know, the best way to keep people safe is to prevent that abuse before it starts. So I know Kyla mentioned earlier, you know, we try to do a lot of that sort of preventative work and talk to them about how to stay as safe as possible before they encounter some of those maybe more dangerous or harmful situations. So one way that we like to do that is to really talk and learn more about building healthy relationships. Yeah, so we have eight protective factors that we talk about. And these eight protective factors are great and super important for both people to stay safe, more safe in the relationship. So we can look a little bit more at what each of those protective factors look like. Yeah, the first one's going to be respect. That's going to include respecting people's boundaries, their values, traditions, beliefs, gender, sexuality, and the right to make decisions to say yes or no. We also want to have safety. We know that safety can be very physical, right? Somebody's not afraid of being hurt or being made physically uncomfortable around their partner. They feel safe being alone with them. They don't feel afraid of what that person might do. Safety can also be very emotional. So feeling safe to be themselves without, you know, being put down, being hurt, made fun of, all those types of things. And support is super important as well to create that safety. That can be supporting their partner in their activities or their jobs, their dreams, whatever goals they aspire to, as well as emotional support when they're going through a tough time. I think a really big one for teens would be the individuality in that relationship. They should be able to spend time on their own and do their, have their own friends and their own activities and hobbies and not consistently be texting or checking in or being kind of controlled on what they can do and who they can be with. So having individuality in both partners creates a more healthy relationship. Fairness and equality is also very important. We like to always make sure that both people in that relationship have equal power. There's no like unequal power dynamics. Both people have equal decision-making ability. There's not one person in that relationship whose voice or opinion carries more weight. They both have that kind of equal say in, you know, issues, especially issues that affect them equally. They kind of have that equal decision-making power. Yeah, absolutely. And acceptance is a big one too. Both people in that relationship can accept each other for who they really are without requiring one person to change big fundamental aspects of themselves or be any different than who they truly are to win over their partner's love or affection. The next one is honesty and trust. They can be open with their partners about things. There's no lying. They can trust that the other person is going to be honest with them. And they don't always have to suspect the worst of kind of what's going on. And we also want to have communication. 
So they're both able to communicate openly and honestly with them when they're talking and when they're communicating with each other, that's happening respectfully. There's not, you know, downputting comments or name calling. And, you know, if issues do arrive, maybe somebody did do something that hurt their partner. They're able to talk it out as it happens instead of letting those feelings build up, build up, build up and eventually escalate into something much more hurtful. Mm -hmm. So specifically, we like to look at some specific behaviors that we typically expect to see happening in those healthy teen relationships. And obviously like every relationship is different, but these are some common behaviors that we want to look at that we usually see happening in a relationship, especially specifically among teens when it's healthy and working really well. Yeah. So in a healthy teen relationship, we see them respect boundaries and privacy without any pressures or guilt tripping involved in that. Yeah. Kind of going off of that boundaries is consent. So partners ask each other before new types of physical affection are introduced or different contact and respects if their partner says no or doesn't feel comfortable with something. And if they change their mind, so they maybe said yes one time and then they change their mind, whether it's physical or some other aspect of the relationship, they are able to accept that and honor that. And they're working together to compromise or to solve any problems that arise. Yeah, and they work together to make decisions and share responsibility. So sometimes that means if I want to go out to Chinese, then the other person will compromise. Maybe we'll go to Red Robin or something. It's even better. But both people have that, like you have mentioned, that equal ability to make decisions, but there's still like equal compromise, taking turns. They are able to also listen to their partner's ideas and listen to their opinions and take those thoughts and those advice, that advice to heart instead of just brushing off everything that their partner says as like something silly or that doesn't matter at all. Yeah, and they want their partners to succeed and believes in their abilities and their aspirations and things they want to do and encourages them to do them. Yeah. And they're okay with their partner spending time with their friends or their family, spending time with their hobbies or different things that they like to do. They're very careful to make sure to correctly use their partner's name and pronouns and really just support their gender identity, their gender expression, and all those different aspects that make them them, just being very supportive. Yeah. And going off that, they're supporting their partner's sexual orientation or identity and allows them to choose when and how to come out and who to come out to. And affirming their partner's identity. So listening to their unique struggles and never putting their partner down or telling them that they're not really the sexual orientation or gender identity that they identify with. Mm -hmm. They're also able to like honor and recognize and support their partner's background and upbringing, especially if it's maybe different from themselves. They're able to respect the needs and obligations and things that their partner might have as a result of maybe their upbringing, their background, their family, their culture, whatever. And I think not just in teen relationships, but in general, I think it's hard, but looking at healthy relationships when you own up to when you make a mistake or say or do something that's hurtful and then learning from that experience and changing that behavior. Because it's tough to do all of these things perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Being able to like, yeah, own up when we make those mistakes. Even as a grown-up, that's a hard one for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Admitting you're wrong and apologizing. 
Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> We go into schools and we do our healthy relationships presentations and we talk to high schoolers and middle schoolers and college students. We like to always provide time for students to ask us questions anonymously without their name attached to it. They don't have to feel, you know, insecure asking in front of their classmates, things like that. So we often notice a lot of, we get a lot of the same questions. So we want to go over some of those very common questions that we get, some frequently asked questions and just address them very quickly. First question, can men or boys experience dating or sexual violence? Yeah, anyone in any type of relationship can experience dating or sexual violence, regardless of their gender. Anyone can experience dating abuse. If somebody thinks that they themselves maybe have been abusive, what can they do to change that? I think that's a, that's a big question, right? The realization that you've been abused and the desire to change is a great first step of recognizing that unhealthy behavior in that relationship. Yeah, and some people reach out to friends and family for support. Yeah. They may find programs or organizations that focus on abusive relationships and dynamics and kind of helping people change. And working on respecting your partner and other people's right to be safe and healthy as you work towards change and realize that this might mean you can't be together with that person if you're exhibiting this behavior. Yeah. Another question I think we are commonly asked that sometimes we see as part of domestic or sexual violence is what can someone do if they're experiencing stalking, if someone is stalking them? I think it's really helpful to get support. At that point, you know, talking to somebody that we trust, whether it's a friend or a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, somebody who we trust to kind of get on board with us and supporting us is really, really helpful and really important. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely reach out to support services like Safe Passage or an advocate. We can help with the safety planning of that and what that looks like. Yeah, so sometimes that safety planning around stalking looks like documenting and writing down different incidents, including like where it happened, when it happened, what happened during that incident, and maybe who else have witnessed or were involved. We often also talk about, you know, what we can do digitally, because I think a lot of the time this type of thing happens, especially among teens over technology, over the internet. So it might look like not responding to any messages or calls, screenshotting, harassing or threatening messages or texts or things like that as part of that documentation thing as well. Making sure that our social media accounts, we change passwords or look at privacy settings to make sure that we're all secure online. And of course, if someone is in an immediate situation, we can always help navigate contacting law enforcement if someone feels like they're in immediate danger. Another question we often get is how can people cope or feel better or heal after experiencing dating violence or sexual violence? With sexual assault and dating violence, first and foremost, there has to be that conversation that it's never the person that's experiencing the violence's fault. Yeah, and sometimes healing can almost be portrayed as a cookie cutter experience. Like, okay, if you just do X, Y, Z, then you'll be all better. But <laughs> we know that actually healing is different for different types of people and things work better 
for different people. And so just doing people doing what makes them feel best and healthy, I think is super important and not feeling bad if their journey looks different from other people or if they're doing things that are different than maybe what someone else has utilized or suggested. Yeah, it does look different, but we do also often see some very common strategies that a lot of people find helpful. So things like maybe talking with an advocate, getting connected to counseling services, practicing really good self-care. We see a lot of people, especially a lot of teens and adults, finding those types of things to be very helpful. Another question we get and a term that we throw around a lot would be, what is self-care? I think self-care is just taking time to care and take care of yourself in the ways that work best for you. Yeah. And I think kind of like we talked about healing, it's not always that cookie cutter thing. It looks different for different people. But again, we do see a lot of types of ideas and types of things that a lot of people do find helpful, like journaling, volunteering, cooking, making art or making music, spending time with people who make us feel better, loved ones, spending time with pets, watching videos of baby animals, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) playing sports, working out, eating healthy food, staying hydrated, all those things. I think we see a lot of this kind of thing on the internet and it feels kind of cliche, but like it honestly, (laughs) a lot of people genuinely do find it very helpful. I find it very helpful. So (laughs) sometimes there's something to internet cliches. (laughs) Yep. I always have to remember to drink water. (laughs) Yep. Yes. Water is a big one for me. Yeah. (laughs) Again, like all of our podcasts, we want to make sure that we're giving tangible tools to take away from each one of the subjects we talk about. So what can you do with all this information, whether you're a teen or a young person yourself, or if you have a young person in your life, or you're a community member who just wants to help promote healthy relationship in teens or anybody in the community, we're going to list a couple of things that you can do and, and take home with you. Yeah, so promoting healthy relationships in your own life, that like modeling and noticing healthy relationships in different ways that's portrayed like through social media or on TV and in movies, noticing those healthy relationships and pointing them out. And maybe if they are unhealthy, having a conversation around those unhealthy behaviors or dynamics. Yeah. And I think it's always good to just remember that we don't have to be afraid to reach out to someone who we think might need help. Mm -hmm. Just letting them know like, hey, you know, I have these concerns or I'm just checking in. I'm always here for you. And just always being supportive and listening patiently. And if you're someone who a teen might come and talk to, just make sure that they know you're a safe person from the beginning. I think you can do that by having honest conversations about relationships really early. Just having that space to give teens that they can come talk about anything. Yeah, I think listening is a big part of all of that. Teens and young adults, just like everybody, just want to be heard. Acknowledging their feelings and respecting their decisions. Sometimes people make decisions that we don't necessarily agree with, but still validating their feelings and their experiences and not criticizing or judging their choices. Sometimes that criticizing or judging other people or their choices will push them away or make them feel uncomfortable and kind of shut down that conversation or their support system. 
Mm-hmm. I think it's always important. We mentioned this a couple times. We talk about this a lot, but just always helping them recognize that abuse is not normal. It's not their fault. They deserve to have a healthy relationship. You know, nobody deserves to be treated poorly or deserves abuse or violence at all. So just always remembering to continue to like reaffirm those truths. Mm-hmm. And knowing that they might have a hard time just leaving that partner in general and that even if they stay with that partner, it's important that that person still feels comfortable to talk to you and come to you with anything that they might have. So not shutting that door and keeping that line of communication open is super important. Yeah. And if they break up with the abusive partner, continuing to be supportive, even after the abuse is over, because even though the relationship is over, it doesn't necessarily mean that those feelings automatically going away. So we can still support and care for our friends, our family and our loved ones, even if it doesn't feel like much. I think it can often be tempting to want to like contact that abusive partner or post, you know, very identifying information online and things like that, especially while the abuse is happening. But we typically don't recommend doing that, especially if it's something that the abusive person will see that could make them angry and just kind of make the situation worse and make things escalate. So typically we recommend just staying directly connected to that person who's experiencing the abuse and just supporting them directly. Mm-hmm. And seeking out community resources and self-care tools. So someone like Safe Passage, you can reach out to us all the time. Yeah, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> and another good resource since we're talking about the LGBTQ plus community is we have the North Idaho Pride Alliance here. So that's another really great community resource. Mm-hmm. A lot of really great people. Yeah. And June is Pride Month. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Celebrating the LGBTQ community and we're bringing to light resources, information, anything that we can do to help out the community. I think another good online resource specifically for teens is loveisrespect.org. As a lot of good teen-specific information online. Yeah, and we like to post that information onto our teen Instagram, at Safe Passage Teen. We promote lots of healthy relationships and talk about red flags. So that's another way that people can find that information as well. Yeah. A lot of this is also on our YouTube channel. Yes, follow us. (laughs) North Idaho Pride Alliance is doing a virtual Pride Month since we can't have it in person because of the COVID. So make sure to follow them on their Facebook throughout the month. They're going to do a lot of highlighting in our community for virtual Pride Month. That's going to be so fun. Yeah, I'm excited. You can also find them at nipridealliance.com if for some reason you're not on social media. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Safe Passage might have a debut on that Pride Month. That's what I've heard. Yay. That's it. We made it. Hey, this has been so fun. Podcast number three in the books. Yeah. Thanks so much to Kyla for joining us. Yay, Kyla. Thanks for having me. It was so fun. So fun. I'm giving you a virtual high five right now. Virtual (laughs) high five. Yes. In the air. (laughs) And a virtual high five to everyone who's listened all the way to the end of this episode. You made it. (laughs) Thank you. What have you guys been doing for self-care? 
I have been kayaking. Ooh, what? Yeah, we re- I recently got a new kayak, <laughs> so I've been spending a lot of time on the lake. Wear a life vest when you kayak? I've never kayaked. I mean, you. I have one in the kayak because you're supposed to. Yeah. But like, I'm not doing extremist kayaking. I don't expect I'm going to flip over. <laughs> and I'm pretty good at swimming, so I don't actually wear it. <laughs> you're just like in a pool sitting there in a kayak. <laughs> in, in one of those tiny kiddie pools. <laughs> <laughs> what about you guys? What have you been up to? I've been doing a lot of hiking with my dog. Mm. Sunset hikes with the pup. Aww. That's been awesome. And to all the listeners, Kyla has a beautiful puppy dog who is so good. <laughs> Elvis. Shout out to Elvis. He's a good boy. Sometimes he helps me out at the college for events. He's a great unofficial mascot <laughs> for our outreach team. Yes. <laughs> I like to binge watch Netflix. That's what I do to kind of zone out from anything that may be stressing me out. Ooh. What have you been binge-watching? I just finished Little Fires Everywhere. And that was great with Reese Witherspoon and uh, Carrie Washington. Super good. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah. I like to hike as well, but Kyla won't hike with me, so that's great. And then (laughs) I just started Tuesday Night Slow Pitch with a lot of people that are reliving their glory days. (laughs) I love it. Amanda's secretly famous. <laughs> so I'm just reliving my glory days and trying not to pull a hamstring. <laughs> or break a pinky. Oh, no. Again. <laughs> oh, boy. This is so fun. Kyla, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Olivia. Thanks, Amanda. Of course. Olivia, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to both of you as well. (laughs) To the listeners, thank you so much. Make sure to comment if you are looking specifically for more information, some podcast ideas of what you want. If you like it, make sure you're subscribing, sharing, telling your friends about it. Yes. Awesome. Everybody be safe. Mm -hmm. Stay healthy. Yes. And wash your hands. (laughs) Always wash your hands. (laughs) 